This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hey podcast, Joe from Team Gary here. Today's episode is an interview that Gary did on the Big Money Energy podcast, where he talks about branding and why it outpaces sales, his journey to selling empathy wines, as well as his secret to maintaining big money energy. Enjoy. Today is a very, very special day because I'm sitting down with one of my favorite, favorite people, um, a huge influence as to why I'm even here talking to you right now. Uh, a media mogul, investor, multi-time New York Times bestselling author, Gary Vaynerchuk. And there really isn't a whole lot that this guy hasn't done. He is a leading entrepreneur. He is an angel investor. He's chairman of VaynerX. He's CEO of VaynerMedia. There's probably 15,000 other things that he's done during quarantine and probably this morning already. Um, he's <laughs> easily one of the most innovative and influential people in the world. And I'm super excited to be sitting down with him here today. Uh, and we're able to fit him into the schedule. Uh, welcome, Gary V. How you doing, man? I'm doing extremely well. Happy New Year to everybody. I, th I try to say that most of January, so I don't know when you're publishing this, but uh, it's really good to be here with you, Ryan, and uh, I hope you're super well, and, and I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, man. So this is your fault, just to let you know, right? I don't good. know if, if people say that to you all the time, uh, but I remember a couple years ago uh, when we were having breakfast at- uh, I remember like at, yesterday. Yeah, at the Mercer Hotel, mm -hmm. uh, and you pointed to the cameras and everybody, uh, and you said, this is what's going to happen, right? And it's going to be everybody. And now here it is. Yeah, you know, I think um, I think so many of the nice things you said up front, uh, I had, a, to your point, I had a, I have done some things this morning. I had a meeting with uh, my Singapore office this morning, and I was talking to an employee who's just joined, and I said, you know, I have a very, very, very narrow super skill surrounded by other skills, competencies, solid, you know, we all have just, you know, kind of like different ladders on like what we're good at and what we're yeah. bad at. But I do have a great intuition around what people are going to do and where attention is. It's really interesting to talk to you. I actually use the analogy of real estate development a lot in my own head and kind of sometimes in public, which is, I, I almost trade attention yeah. the way a great real estate developer, a real estate agent trades neighborhoods. You know, I'm able to see something and say, oh, sure. and for, I can feed, not guessing, not long-term 29 years from now, oh, in the next 36 to 48 months, quote unquote, this neighborhood is about to turn or this neighborhood is about to develop. And sometimes that neighborhood is podcasting and sometimes that neighborhood is TikTok and sometimes that neighborhood is Facebook. And then by the way, the reverse, you know, this is something you know and probably a lot of people in the audience, but I know your audience is broad like mine. Um, sometimes the neighborhood goes from super hot to not as hot, you know, Facebook, yep. you know, 10 years ago was the hottest thing for a 24 year old to be on. And now it is really 60, 70, 80 year old behavior. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, uh, those are the conversations I have every day with developers trying to predict the future, right? Where do we invest yeah. now? And it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not just our attention, right? It's, it's a significant amount of money. So where do we put our dollars and where's the market going to be? And that's, that's the and, issue and with the real estate by, market and, we have right now. And by the way, it's the issue with what I do for a living. The reason so many people struggle with content building brand, both as a human or as a business, is it is money too. 
just because you decide that you're going to go all in on TikTok, you have to spend money. It, you know, whether it's ads, whether it's people producing the content, whether it's your own time that becomes valuable. I think one of the challenges um, for individuals like yourself who are successful at the point of that breakfast at the Mercer Hotel is that it takes a real fight commitment because you are now allocating hours doing this that used to be analyzing data around a neighborhood, showing something, recruiting yep. someone, building a relationship. I know it. I mean, I run a lot of businesses, yet there is times when I'm writing a book, speaking on stage, doing a podcast, like nine to nine. How do you justify will- that time? How do you justify the time between Easy. Gary Vaynerchuk, Easy. the CEO, Easy. and Gary V, the celebrity that everybody knows? Like, how are you? How are you even here right now doing this time? If you have all Easy. of these people in Singapore, all over the world. Easy, easy. Brand always outpaces sales. Uh huh. You know this. Yeah. I mean, you've lived it. It's been yeah. the arc of your life. So, I, I really believe in brand, and I think you know. I also I believe in karma. You know. I, you know, I, I like you intuitively uh, from the moment we met, we haven't had the luxury because we're both busy to spend like the kind of time that makes me say, oh my God, I fully know this person that, you know, but I always sure. have good feelings towards it. I believe in karma and doing good things. Like when I, when, when you asked me to be on this show, I want to do it. I, I want to get some people that have never heard of me or hear something new for me on this podcast that are in your world. I want to do it for you because I know a lot of people find wherever I am on the internet that's good for you. Like it's, it's, you just live, you know, I'm so fascinated by people's ability to be so narrow on just transactional. I have to do this. This makes me money now. This is more valuable than anything else. That's, that's wild. I actually think it's the third most valuable to building brand and to building karma, serendipity, you know, just, just living life. How do you how do you structure your day though? A total logistical question as we kind of get into this. You have, you have a family, you know. You yep. live in Manhattan. You run these yep. businesses. How many? Just talk to me, like just real. How, how many assistants do you have? Who structures your calendar? How do you know? Is every day completely different? How do you structure your goals going into the year? Walk me through that process. I have two full time admins. Yep. I just for you. Just for me. So Alexandra and Lou. Are incredible. They're they're oh, it's an always on business, you know, yeah. which is tough. They're young kids. Uh, I have the luxury at this point in my career. Two of my former assistants and interns went on to be my partners in Empathy Wines. Yeah. And you know, a couple of months ago, we sold that company to Constellation, and those guys became millionaires. And so, so and my other assistants are in my ecosystem and doing extremely well. So you know, being my admin, it's really hard. I I think because it's kind of you know. It's always on, it's stressed. There's just a lot going on. However, it's an incredible springboard to a career. And so it's, it's very, a lot of people internally or externally always trying to get that job. But it, even though I know it's a springboard, I'm still like uncomfortably appreciative every time somebody holds that role because I know that first of all, I'm on, actively on usually for 12, 13, 14 hours in a day. And then the inbox and things are happening 24 hours a day, London, Singapore, you know, just my life. So it's a, it's a high intensity job. So I have those two and they cover my inbox and my calendar. They are completely in charge of that. I literally, you know, when you texted me yesterday, you could have paid billion dollars. I wouldn't have known that we're doing this today. I only know what I'm doing the morning I wake up and look at my calendar for the first time. 
I know that I, I know and when you, you text go me and you start running and I just go, I know that, you know, we had the exchange and I was, and I said, yes, and I couldn't wait to do it. But whether it was January 7th or February 19th, I would have yeah, no clue know. until the morning. Then I have a chief of staff, Marcus Krasastic, who's been with me for 10, 11 years. He is really far more my right hand within the VaynerX ecosystem. I think the thing that completely blows away a lot of people, which is fl sometimes flattering and sometimes hurts my feelings, uh, not really, but it's, it, it fascinates me, which is, you know, I have a 1,200, 1,300 person global communications company infrastructure, publishing, speaking bureau, uh, video production, agency, Singapore, London, uh, soon to be Mexico City. And that's really what I do for a living. Like I yeah. actually am an operator and a CEO of those businesses. And so I need infrastructure around that. My incredible COO, Mark Yudkin, who was my, also my general counsel and was with me before I even, when I was still at Wine Library Investing, he was my lawyer. So I have a lot of longstanding relationships around me that are my infrastructure, who they know me so well, which means we can go faster. I think Ryan, one of the things that people make a humongous mistake about is I yeah. value speed tremendously. And the no, way you get speed is through continuity, right? When, you know, Lou, Lou who I mentioned earlier, my admin, I've actually, yeah. I know him as little Lou. I knew his dad from the wine business. I've known him since he was seven. He worked at VaynerMedia for six years before on the account side, before he came to be an admin, there's a sixth sense there. Alexandra was our front, uh, our, our front office uh, for two, three years, got to watch her move. She's been with me, me with now for three years, Marcus 11 years, Mark 12 years. You have this continuity and the speed, the speed that that creates. So I would say Marcus and my two admins are the actual infrastructure and my calendar is my boss. I say yes and no to things. For example, sure. uh, something I implemented a year ago, which has been game changing is I'll have an hour meeting with Marcus, my chief of staff and my two admins today. And we will look at every single meeting next week. And we will do things like uh, at the time, because what we used to rely on is my decision. But sure. the problem is, Sometimes something that I said, hey, let's do this for 30, now needs 15. Now yeah. doesn't need to happen at all. And so we're refining every minute. And usually it's an 8.30 to, right now with COVID, it's been nice. It's been 8.30 to 7.30 and then I'll work out and then I'll kind of like live, you know, pre-COVID. And you haven't been back to the office, right? You've just been working no. from home. Correct. Um, when so, do you think you guys are going to go back? I think we'll you know? be back to some sort of, let's call it 2019 level in yeah. September is what, you know, September to December, I think Jan 2022 really you're rolling in that environment. Um, but, uh, but that's how I structure it. So how do you then deal with, because you're the guy, right? The company is, is your name. Mm -hmm. You're the guy, mm -hmm. people know you 100%. and you, you spend so much time focused on brand. How do you deal with founder dependency? How do you deal with, how do, you, how do you then scale? I know you have great people around you and you promote from within, but how does Gary uh, multiply? Extremities on both sides, let me explain. I, if you were to private investigate my organization, everybody listening would be on the ground, how stunned they would be on how much I don't give a shit about and I'm completely uninvolved in. I just, so you give freedom, you give freedom to the people you it, hire. Right. At a level, again, at a level that would surprise, like, I mean it, like, like I spend very little time with my CFO. Okay. 
You know, like there's things that I just delegate, trust, show me that you're not the guy or girl, and then I'll make a decision on training you up or firing you. That's my responsibility. Sure. So it's the extreme lack of micromanagement on one side on the 85%. And then the 15%, I'm very involved in molding and touching, whether that's winning new business, whether that's innovating new products and services, whether that's global expansion, um, whether that's strategic M&A. So I, I don't play in the middle, which I think a lot of founders do, just they're in things they don't need to be in. Sure. Out of insecurity or ego. Um, so you focus on building. I focus uncomfortably on growth. Now, yeah. I had a moment that I called counting the bananas on March 20th this year, which is, oh shit, here's COVID. Oh shit, I just got four emails from our humongous clients saying, yeah, we're not gonna pay you as fast anymore. We're yeah. not a very big company <laughs> compared to Chase and Budweiser, so we have no leverage. Uh, I have overheads. Oh my God, is this stimulus thing gonna play out the way I think, which is people, beneath, you know, less revenue and way more revenue are gonna get checks and we're not. Sure enough, that's what happened. We didn't get a penny. And so I'm like, I've gotta navigate this, which makes me go into complete defense mode. Yeah. So literally for two weeks, I'm literally, literally I knew how much we were spending on snacks in the LA office. Sure. Whereas, whereas, you know, two weeks earlier, I couldn't tell you what we were spending on our leases, let alone the snacks, right? Yeah. So, so I'm, very, I'm, I'm very good at a couple things. One never putting myself in a massive vulnerability where I'll go out of business. So in the macro, right. I still have an incredible sense of what the reality of the businesses are. B, when I have to switch and adjust to new information, I'm not ideological and say, well, you guys and girls take care of this. You're in the details of defense. I go directly into hands dirty because I'm an operator by nature. And so that's how I kind of think about the world. Yeah. So it's so interesting talking to you now, even compared to the last couple of years, right? I feel like when I first met you, like you know everything, and now you know even more. Um, uh, and I think you, you know, our gray hairs, you know, really. I went gray. I went gray way earlier than you did, man. Yes, I was, yeah, I was but 16. You, but you have a very handsome face, so you've been able to pull it off for a long time. I think <laughs> uh, gray hairs is the symbol towards experience. Doesn't it blow you away, Ryan? And I think for everybody's listening, and I, I know there's a lot of winning operators and winning comes in all different scales. I'm just gonna pose this question. I know a lot of people while they're running, while they're driving, while they're working, walking their dog, listening to this. It is just amazing when you're a winning player, how much better you are 20 years later, 15 years later, 10 years later. Like I was a whiz kid. I took my dad's liquor store business from a three to a $60 million business in my yeah. early 20s. That's yeah. just facts. So I knew I had that in me because I'd been doing the business stuff since I was six and at 14 to 18, I really figured it out with sports cards and I knew I had it in me. Yet I came into that business with Kobe Bryant-like bravado and pulled it off. Yet I cannot believe how the 45-year-old me would run circles around that 25-year-old, like circles. Yeah. And that's called experience. And so to your point, you're right. You know, the, the humility of the game, the affirmation of the game, when you're, when you're a purebred entrepreneur or operator, if you, can, if you can both love the humility and the affirmations of the process, you become 
super powerful. I believe that. Well, you also have to have the, the courage to bet on yourself, right? Especially in times like these, uh, yes. because you have all these people who work for you that, that, that answer to you. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. If you want to do it, great. If you're going to invest the money, you know what's it funny all about that, comes right? down to you. Yeah. And, and you know what, what's powerful about that? I'm in love with accountability. Okay. And, I, and I've noticed that a lot of my very wealthy, successful friends are not as into it and it's intriguing to me. And I think accountability is a mental health sustainable trait. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that. I just genuinely think every single thing that's not working in my company is my fault. I, I, I don't, I'm not saying this to be cool on a podcast or no, to be I altruistic. Agree. I just know it's true. If everything stops with me, well, I hired Sally or Ricky who made that mistake. And so, and, and here's a big one. When you fall in love with accountability, I think it gets more fun. And Why? I've been, because you feel like you're in control. I yeah. think what a lot of people struggle with and get upset about, whether it's the government, whether it's their parents, whether it's a client, whether it's a developer, when you're the, you know, like when someone else is in control, it doesn't feel good. Or the perception that you'll never succeed because the system or this human or institute, it's it, my most unhappy state was from the age of six to 22, because I spent a lot of time in something called school, which I was not in control of, sure. and, I knew, and I knew was bullshit for me, and it wasn't fun. And yeah. so I think, I think accountability is actually intoxicating. It's not something that you dwell on and be like, oh, I fucking suck. I think when you have self-esteem and confidence and you layer accountability, it actually feels empowering and, and it, it, it really feels nice. And like, I, I feel like, for example, I bet on myself all the time, but I wouldn't call myself super high risk. I'm actually an immigrant that started with nothing. I'm actually quote unquote conservative. I think when I'm betting on these new things that blow people's minds, I actually believe in them 150%. Like to me, yeah. the scary thing is to run an ad in the New York Times, yeah, not to sure. make a TikTok. Like to me, that's the scary thing. Yeah. Even though I think people fall in love with, the past and put it on a pedestal and they demonize the current. I think the current is practical. Yeah. Well, uh, I just want to get this question in my head that, that I think people might want to know because so much of your life is also very, very public, right? So what is, what's something that people do not know about you? Anything in my personal life. Why is that? Because Why have you made that decision. It kind of, I, I'd be lying if I said there was some big decision. It's just, um, it came natural to, you know what I actually think the answer is? Actually, I'll give you the answer. I was born in the Soviet Union. Okay. And I was raised in a household that overly valued personal privacy. Sure. The end. Like, yeah. like I, my parents grew up in a society where people ratted on each other and people went to jail. I, I wish Americans really knew what communism and socialism really was. Yeah. There is such a naivete, especially in the current political climate. Yeah. Paying higher taxes and and paying for, you know, having universal healthcare or university is not what my parents lived in. You're yeah. talking about my great, yeah, it's really ironic that we went here. I don't talk about this a lot. I literally posted one minute before we went here on my Instagram. I'm gonna show you, and obviously this is all.
video for a lot of people. So I'll talk it through. I literally, literally, I've never done this. This is never have done this. Posted a picture of my great grand, my, both my grandfathers and my great grandfather. All of my grandfathers, I, I, didn't know, uh, I never met my dad's dad. He died when my dad was 15. Sure. As you can see by this picture, I did meet my mom's dad, but I was two and I never, I don't remember him. And I did know my great grandfather who came to America with us, immigrated in his seventies. I recall him a little bit, but he also died when I was five. But, but both of my grandfathers spent time in jail, including my mom's dad spending 10 or 12 years, Ryan, for, for doing entrepreneurial stuff on the side, which, oh, by the way, every human in Russia did because that's what happens in communism. Speak to anybody in Venezuela, Cuba, or Russia yep. that lived in it. So I think that's one factor. I also think I'm good at predicting and I think that people have come to learn that when you exploit your children or tell everybody everything about your business, it might be fun for a couple of likes on Instagram at the time, but it comes with enormous amounts of baggage and sure. and and stresses. And so, I think no, that a, part. The struggle I think, we have, you know, as uh, as yeah. you know, my family as well, right? We we yeah. people know us because of a reality television show yeah. that focuses more on our personal life than it does on our yeah. actual work. But yeah. we made a decision a while ago uh, that you know, due to business, right? I, it's different for you, but you know, we. I sell a significant amount of real estate um, because of what people know about my family because they know me. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, for you and everyone has their own situations. You felt like the trade could work itself out and that's amazing. And by the way, if it stopped working, by the way, for everybody listening who's posting pictures of their babies or doing the social media version of a reality show that you live through, because a lot of people are, as you know, Yeah. It's okay to do it when it works for you and it's okay to change your mind. Like that's what's amazing about life, right? You can play it. I'll tell you another thing when we touched on it. I do not think because of the Gary V persona and most of the content is podcast speeches, which is a different version of me than the operator. Yep. I don't think, uh, I don't think people really understand me as a businessman. For example, in 15 months, I created a nine figure exit for a direct consumer wine brand. Some solid amount of my audience knows almost nobody outside of my audience knows. I co-founded, co-created, funded something called Resi, yep. the most successful restaurant app that has come out since OpenTable. We exited that in a full cash deal, hefty nine figures to American Express, not on my resume when the Gary V name gets brought up. So I think my persona and personality, probably similar to the way you feel as a quote unquote reality star who's actually a real professional. I think the th a thing that most people don't know is I, you know, Vayner X, my holding company, on a bad day, if I ever sell it, is going to be a billion dollar exit. On a bad day. Sure. I don't think, I don't think people have calibrated my business success in Accium. And I think that's back to accountability on me. I don't like talking about being smart or being good at business. I like talking about, hey, do you see this opportunity and do you understand why you're not taking it? It's usually tied into insecurity or internal things. So A, focus on that. And B, once you focus on that, you have to make content on these things. It's going to, you just articulated that awareness, awareness to you has led to success. Currently it's professional success, 
as you evolve, and this is my intuition about you, it may be around the social issues you care about, the nonprofits you wanna support, the disease that takes someone that you love to cure it, uh, political aspiration, who the heck, you're, you're a young man. For me, that's, that's what I want everybody to understand. You don't need Bravo's cosign. There's something called TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Spotify in perpetuity. It's called the internet. It will yeah. play out this way. Take advantage of it because you can then get happier. Not because you've made more money, but let me paint a different picture real quick and I'll finish my rant and let you move on. You are making $81,000 a year doing this job right now that you don't like. You are uncomfortably knowledgeable about olive oil. Stick with me here, Ryan. You are, a, you're, an, you're, an, you're an Italian immigrant or your grandmother or for whatever reason you went to Cornell culinary, you know more about olive oil than 98% of the people or more importantly, you love olive oil more than 98% of the people. There is zero doubt in my soul that if you get serious about TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram, podcasting and YouTube, and after work, instead of watching Netflix or playing video games or smoking weed or drinking or eating or hanging out to escape the fact that you don't love your nine to five, you put in an hour or two into building out this olive oil thing that in 36 months, you will be able to subsidize that $81,000 sure. in being the olive oil queen that to me, Ryan, that little rant is like. It's also the, I mean, it's the future. It, it, for it's most the current. People. It's the yeah. current uh, to the people that see it and do it. That to me, Ryan, is almost, I don't want to say it's what my intuition tells me is my life's work, but I know that people can be happier and more fulfilled if they can understand that they are insecure about other people's judgment, because we all grew up in high school and we just all lived that life. And how do you get out of that to then allow you to do the olive oil thing or whatever that thing is, to then get educated on what's actually happening with attention, content and media, to then live a life that is, makes you happy, which then allows you to be nicer to others, happier for yourself, and live fulfillment and happiness. This, it feels very big to me. Yeah, well, how long did it take you? Walk, walk me through Empathy Wines quickly. The, the idea, the building, uh, what it became. It's a great question. It's my life's work. I learned about wine when I was 14. I yep. would sit behind the register of Shoppers Discount Liquors in Springfield, Milburn, New Jersey, and I would read The Wine Spectator and Robert Parker for two, three, four hours. I would read the Wine Spectator in high school. So in a lot of ways, it's my life's work. In a lot of ways, it took 21 months to create a nine-figure exit. But let me break it down for you. My life's work, I learn, I build a huge business. Yep. I really know wine, like uncomfortably well. Sure. I also am a very good dude in business, which gave me the leverage when I decided to start my own brand to go to farmers and get unconscious deals on the grapes because of all the beautiful things I did for them over the last 25 years, which okay. allowed me to do what I wanted, which was to create the best $20 wine in the world, right? Because and that was, I, that, so that was the business plan, create the best right. $20 wine in the world. Direct to consumer. Yeah. Okay. No shelves, no restaurants, not even my dad's store, which pissed so off. As people, <laughs> so as people order, you ship. Correct. Yep. Um, subscription base, we will create a rosé, a white, a red, and you will get it when it comes out. So you don't have to think because 90% of people actually don't want to think about what wine to buy. Yeah. And then there's another part of the story. My partners in that business, Nate Schroeder and John Troutman. John Troutman met me 
at the Boston Wine Expo, the first year Wine Library TV exploded in 2007. And I went up to Boston and I had a table where every table at this expo was people serving their wines. And I had a table with four laptops on it and I was hanging, handing out DVDs of my nine best episodes that I put on YouTube. And John Trauma was a fan of the show because his dad owned a restaurant. He wanted to learn about wine. And he helped me hand out DVDs. He then became an intern for a wine social network that I bought that we failed at. And then became a employee of VaynerMedia in its earliest yeah. days. Then I got him a job at a wine distributor that I was friends with. He worked there for a year. He decided to come back to VaynerMedia and ended up being at the end of his VaynerMedia time in my chief of staff what I, before I had a chief of staff, I had a four person team trying to do what I told you earlier called the office of the CEO. It yep. was inefficient. Yep. I realized that. And so John and Nate, Nate was another kid at Arizona State who wanted to learn about wine, found me on YouTube. This is all these young kids met me in 2006, seven on YouTube because yep. nobody was doing it. Sent an email, got an internship at Wine Library. I interacted with him twice during his whole internship. But it's, <laughs> we listened to this shit. He, we, I just started VaynerMedia with my brother. I, he was interning for Wine Library. I was only there once a week because the transformation was happening. He said, can I spend some time with you? I said, yes. I decided to take the 15 person wine, VaynerMedia company to Vermont for like a, a family kind of like yeah, offsite. Sure. Yep. We played, we competed the whole weekend because that's all I love. We played volleyball. I liked the way that Nate played volleyball competitively. <laughs> and offered him a job based on how he played volleyball. He became my admin, my second ever admin. He crushed at it. He then became uh, AJ's right hand, da, 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 da. He then became an office of CEO. I had this idea that I was ready to do a direct to consumer wine brand, that I could do it, that I could do the $20 thing, that VaynerMedia was getting big enough, that I could take some talent from that. And I knew that I had John and Nate and I said, I, can, I made them my partners. They ran the business along with me. And, and so from the moment I thought about it to the day we sold to Constellation was less than two years. But really, if you listen carefully, it was 13 years or 12 years yeah, on two yeah. men. It was my yeah. whole life. It was all the learnings I picked up on advertising on social media, direct to consumer, Shopify understanding. So that's how I think it works, right? Like, right, I swear to God, I think everything I've accomplished, and I mean this with all my soul, everything that I've accomplished professionally up to the second of doing this podcast will almost be forgotten and dwarfed by what I do between 50 and 65. I really believe that. Sure. I, I feel like the reason I built Vayner I think X, that's true. It, yeah. Well, thank you. Why do you think that's true? Like that makes me feel good. And I like that you said it and I feel like you meant it. You know, I, I, I do um, because I feel like even today, and I don't mean this as, as an insult in any way that I, that I'm, I get to know you and everyone who's listening gets to hear you while you're still at the beginning. Like, I, I, I feel right. like you were like almost in the ground, uh, you know, years and years ago when people still thought you were successful. And now it's the beginning because the greatest years of what you're going to be able to bring to your community and to the world, you haven't even gotten there yet. Uh, and that's what's exciting about the future, right? That's why, that's why we do this, you know? That's why By the way, for this. everybody who's listening, I decided at 34 years old to take a step back. I just invested in Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, which made everybody throw a ton of money at me. And yeah. I could have started a 
venture capital firm made millions of dollars a year to take business meetings and then have some backend upside. But I decided to start VaynerMedia because I wanted to build a communications infrastructure for my behavior for 40 years. And sure. I wanted to operate, not be an investor. I think for a lot of people listening right now in your community, Ryan, knowing the kind of individuals you would attract, believe it or not, the number one decision that they could all make is to take a step back financially to put themselves in a position. It's a, it's a, to grow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real, the one step backwards, four steps forward thing, I, I really think is very real from a, a happiness, self awareness standpoint, but B, from a financial standpoint. And I hope this, one minute line that I just delivered on the podcast may make one person in your community actually tip over because they subconsciously know it. You know, everybody really knows. Everybody knows themselves. They yeah. may not allow it to come to the forefront, but I, one of the reasons I like to communicate and put out things is I think sometimes you can say something that activates the thing that's in the back and brings it to the front. And then four months later, they do it. I mean, I, I, I thank you so much for bringing up the Mercer. I want to tell you something. And I don't actually, you know what? I'm going to ask D-Rock to see if we have the film. We leave that meeting. Yep. And I think, and I actually, I don't know if you see this. Do you see the goosebumps? I, I do. I see them. Yeah, those are real. I think the reason I have them right now is I think I turn to D-Rock as we're getting into the car and saying, I think he's going to do it. I've got, I'm going to look it up and see if I can find it. And then what I'll do is, you know how I do that split content that I like to do? Yeah. I'll, I'll, do I'll get that piece and then, I'll, and then I'll split it with this moment on our podcast to give was, awareness was, to the show. Yeah, that was three years ago. Um, I really felt that you were going to do it because I felt that I had articulated what I, what I wanted to articulate to a guy like you that I thought could do it. And I could tell that you picked it up and I intuitively thought you would. And I think that that's cool. And I think that's the same reason I just said that thing about the one step back, four steps forward. I hope one well, person clicked. I mean, yeah, no, that's, and listen, that's, that's me too. I mean, last year, what, what do you think about the fact that I, uh, I left the real estate brokerage I was at for 12 years, selling plenty of real estate, all overhead covered by everybody else. It was great. Top of the game, top selling team across the country, three years in a row, uh, blew it all up and started my own real estate company in the middle of a pandemic and announced it in September. Because I think it was obvious that you had tipped over to where you had the leverage to do so. I actually think Yep. To be very frank, when I hear you articulate that, the, again, the only thing that went through my mind was practicality. You had gotten to a place because of the leverage you created for yourself through the decisions and work that you made for yourself that you had been now on the other side of the equation where the trade of that infrastructure overhead, the brand mm -hmm. was no longer as remarkable in return to what you were getting. And so instead of garnering resentment against that institution and infrastructure and yourself for not having the balls to do it, you decided to do the smart emotional thing and do it for yourself. Because even if you fucking fail, thank God at 81, you won't have the resentment or the, oh, sure. or the regret of not jumping when yeah. it was black and white obvious that you should jump. There's a, there's a thing, I don't know where it is, because um, we came into this office not too long ago. Uh, I have like a little plaque here. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's, I'd rather regret the things I did than the things I never tried. It's the whole I, reason I went to New York City to try to be an actor and gave I myself remember. two years. Because I, I was like, if I don't do this, if I, always, always, yeah. I will regret it for the rest of my life.
I, I think this subject that we're touching on right now needs a lot more attention. I think people would live their lives differently if they yep. actually understood that there is an enormous amount of underlining depression and sadness in what I would call the 65 to 95 year old set around regret. Yeah. No, dude, I, 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 I remember distinctly, I was on the West Side Highway, right? The, the Hudson River Park had a new piece of grass. And that's where I was with 15 uh, unpaid actors doing the worst performance ever of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, and I remember standing next to the guy that was playing Father Capulet, who was, I think, 74. Uh, and he was so excited. He was talking about how this was going to be his big break. He was inviting all these people. And in, in my head, I was like, man, you we just almost got hit by a dump truck. We're on the side of the, the highway. You know, I appreciate it. I appreciate the chutzpah and I appreciate all that, but I, I, I need to start making moves because I do not want to be you when I'm 75, unless what you are doing on the side of the West side highway, playing father Capulet to people walking their dogs who don't care makes you absolutely happy. Right. I think happiness has to come first, no matter what we do in business and what we do in life. Um, and for me, I just knew that being that old, uh, on the side of the West Side Highway wasn't going to make me happy. So the I had end. to do something else, you know? The, the end. What I want to go back for one second um, uh, to Empathy Wines. Yep. What was the work for those 21 months? You, you had your whole life about we, wine. You knew it. You knew the guys with the grapes. It's direct to consumer. So you're not bottling. Is we it had to, we had the, we had the, We had the fine. Yes, but that was easy because I can do that every day. I mean, I believe that tomorrow... I can start a subscription base for most products of at least 10,000 people on the, on the back of just telling my community I'm doing it. What was, what was the cost? I, Cause I don't know for empathy. The, the, the cost of the wine. It was the subscription cost. What are people paying per month? They were paying 20, they were paying $240 three times a year for a $20 bottle of wine times 12 for a case. Yeah. Right. And so you're, you were paying 720 a year for the subscription um, and you would get the white, the red, the rosé. The biggest, the biggest parts of that business were building the tech stack, the Shopify, the email infrastructure. Did you do that with people in-house at Vayner or did you hire outside? Everything was internal. Yeah. Everything. This is, this is the whole punchline of everything I'm up to, right? Yeah. Having the capabilities to do this for blueberries and for scarves and for hats and you know uh building out uh picking the right talent internally to jump on this side that wouldn't hurt vayner media because we sure. are, we have to you know that's also the mothership to do the creative and the media spend to acquire customers that have never heard of gary v and just wanted 20 dollars wine the biggest part i think actually in my opinion was finding the incredible people at Crushpad who were the infrastructure of making the wine sure making that deal and actually tasting a stunning amount of red, white, and <laughs> red and white grapes to make those three wines and really feel like I could nail America's palate. So that was actual work. So um, what, did, what did Constellation buy? Did they, they bought the subscription base? They bought the whole company. And, and, and they, they bought well, they, recurring they, revenue, right? Is that what they bought? You know what they bought? They bought recurring revenue. They bought me. And yep. they bought, um, what they really bought is a ecosystem that now they can instill into all their incredible brands like Robert Mondavi, The Prisoner, yeah, sure. this one. You know, it's it it, you know, when you sell wine direct to consumer, you make a hundred, you make a dollar on the dollar. When you sell it 
the normal way that almost every single person buys wine, which is usually at a restaurant or a retailer, the winery sells it to a distributor for 50 cents on the dollar. Those are very big economics. Yeah. So from what's the money mean to you then from the exit and the money you've made from investments and the money that you have into Vayner, right? You're talking about a significant amount of dollars. Uh, I think you live below your means, clearly. What does money mean to you? What's the power? Uh, choice. Sure. Choice. Like I'm, um, I, I think that people who make $80,000 a year or who make 80 million a year have the same opportunity to have choice. It completely is predicated on living within the structure, to your point. I am fascinated by the ability to be able to save money to give you incredible choice, because it's about saving money, right? Yep. It's like, hey, I can knew something new for four years and if it doesn't work, I can still pay my rent, my mortgage, feed my kids, my car bill. Like it's, it's about saving money. And I think that that has gone completely away, which is why people don't have choice. Yeah. I, I'm sure you know this, Ryan, you see this all the time because you sell high net worth homes and you see people who actually can't do an all cash deal. And you're like, how is that possible? Look at who this person is or what it seems they have done. It's because they have made a decision. By the way, I don't demonize this. If you want to fly private and have a yacht and all this, Mazel tov, live your life. But for me, what money means is not that, though I'm not scared to do it occasionally for special things, it's around choice. And uh, that's all it means to me. Uh, the ability that if tomorrow I want to meditate for 18 months and then come out of it and become it. a politician, a teacher, um, a Buddha, a, a, or triple down on being a capitalist entrepreneur, all of it is in choice because of what I've been able to create. And that is, um, I, and I don't think that's a millionaire's gift. I really do believe, cause I know these people, cause sure. I spend time with these people. Cause a lot of them are my friends I grew up with and or people have been affected by my conversation around saving money. I, I wish people, I believe almost everybody has a salary and yep. then lives above it with yep. credit cards and credit. I think if people learned at 63,000 a year, 190, 420 to live below it and, and bank savings, that they'd be shocked how that makes them feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, especially now, um, uh, especially now. So what are you, what are you insecure about? Like going through this whole hour, everything that I know about you, um, what, 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 what freaks you out? Anything? I'm very, very insecure about losing one of the 10 people I love the most because I mentioned, it's funny, the really fun podcast, the, the, I lost all the people that most people love deeply yeah. before I got to know them, right? Gra the sure. grandparents infrastructure didn't work out for me but it worked out for me that I'm 45 years old and I did lose my grandmother. Uh, you know, it's interesting. My grandmother, my dad's mom was the most difficult kind of person of all the grandparents I could have known. She just had a very negative kind of juxtaposition around her. And so I love my grandmother and she lived with us for the summers and it's my grandmother, but I'd be lying and I don't want to that I didn't see the world the way she did. And so there wasn't that insane connection point that, 
and by the way, I was very grateful that she passed when I was 41, you know, to go that many years. She had life with her, yeah. I, I don't know what happens. To, I value my kids, my family, my parents. Like, I value their lives so much that I'm, that I'm insecure about how much will I break, how much will it affect me if A and when that happens, or if God forbid, it's even more tragic. You know, I think about the things that break a human soul, the loss of a child, the uh, all, you know, my parents and sister and brother being in a car and passing. Like, I think about that. I really genuinely do. And I think it leads me to be happy because it keeps things in perspective. And I don't care about losing a, you know, we lost a big client a couple of days ago, which was, you know, unfortunate because it wasn't communicated well and they kind of stunned us. And now I have to make decisions. Like, what do I do? And like, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard when you're running a business and you, you have to make decisions about, you know, do I accountability? I'm sure you took it personally. You, you know, I, I, you know, I, I took it, I took it. I don't, you know, it's funny. I don't take it personally at all. Business is business. I actually sure. don't take it personal at all. I do think it's hundred percent my fault. Yeah. That's what I meant. Um, to your point. But, but where I, where I go is I, I think I'm insecure about deep emotional impact around the death of the people I love the most. I would also, cause I wanna be transparent. I would also say getting to 45 feels different than when I was 25 and petrified about this. I think sure. every year that goes by, I become so much more grateful that it's all still intact that I think if God forbid it happens, I, I kind of lean on, well, I got, I mean, shit. Almost nobody I know has gotten to 45 without being devastated by the loss of a family member yeah. so, or a best friend. And so I'm fucking grateful. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Um, uh, I have two more questions for you and then I'm gonna let you go and run all your companies. <laughs> One, uh, when I told you I was doing this uh, and I told you the title of it and I said, this is uh, the Big Money Energy Podcast. What did, what did you think? What did that mean to you? Uh, the first take I had is I hope you know, it's a, it's a flashy headline Yeah. that I hope that people come on it and break down the non-obvious yep. to then actually, I believe that almost everything I do is the non-obvious to the big money energy thing, which allows me probably at the end of the day to be way up there in big money energy. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I you know, the, my take was this is gonna have that kind of positioning and then if Ryan does a good job, and obviously he's asking me to be on it, so I'm, he's giving me indicators that he's going to, if he can juxtaposition that title with thoughtful conversation of how you actually get there in the, in the way that almost everybody doesn't understand, everybody's complete misunderstanding around flash and keeping up with the Joneses and perception is reality, it is a short-term play. And I think, if you can, I think if you can round that out with thoughtfulness, I think it could be really cool. I appreciate that. Uh, last question. When are we going to go find a house? <laughs> you know, listen, I'm pretty pumped, right? Like I'm a Manhattan boy. I know what's going the on. The market is ripe for you. I remember when we were at the uh, uh -huh. the Knicks game, uh -huh. right? And I was like, you guys, how is the market? Is it tough? I'm like, yeah, there's blood everywhere. And you're like, sit down. I, I, I want to <laughs> talk about the blood. You know, I, this was, that was, uh, that what, was before was all this. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, it's an, I love that you're ending with this because it's it's what I love about you. You are in pocket with me, brother. I am watching. There is real uh, collateral damage yeah. between COVID and the political climate around taxes yeah. 
that I think Manhattan commercial, excuse me, uh, residential real estate. And then you also know, like I'm a simple boy. I'm about supply and demand. Not only are there a lot of people thinking about taxes or have learned that they can live a different life outside of the island. There's also that's in juxtaposition to the fact that the, on the super high end, the amount of inventory that was being created for the five to seven years prior has me awfully excited about, uh, getting serious about this conversation. But I'm not, but honestly, I'll give you a preview, everybody, I want you to hear this. I will be calling Ryan for sure the second I have a better understanding of like the timing of like, like for example, I think this whole year COVID wise yeah. is still a much bigger wash than most people think. Yep, I agree. And, and so I think I just wanna figure that part out. Plus the recruitment that might, have you seen what's going on with the Miami mayor and like his thoughtfulness about recruiting tech comp like there yep. it's it's i mean i'm ryan i'm stunned how many of my business contemporaries are moving from california to texas yeah now we've done a uh, the business that we're doing now between texas and and florida back and forth uh and the the communities that we're building there with with agents and, and salespeople, uh, like it's just it's crazy and we're doing those we're doing a lot of these deals completely virtually and these are big money deals these are 20 I, to 40 million dollar deals I, over the I, phone and I believe that uh, I believe that comes at the detriment of Manhattan in the short term, and that excites me because I love this. I I need the action. I yeah. I'm no, more I than happy to give up fifty percent of my money to sit in the city that has this energy. I don't, you know, Miami's cute and all. I mean, but let there be no confusion. This is fucking the epicenter of the fucking universe. You're the man. I want to end on that line. Thank you so much brother. for being See here. You, Thanks for being on the podcast. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Ryan. See you, man. All right, episode's over. Please leave a review and subscribe up on Apple. It would mean a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to me. Thank you very much. Hey, podcast. Joe from Team Gary here. Today's highlighted review is Thank You by Lenny Love 87 Gary keeps me motivated. No shortcuts, screw bad thoughts. Get up and live life and record it. Thank you. Thanks to Lenny Love 87. Keep those reviews coming. We could highlight yours next.